The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5, verse 6. Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbaum Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, The Wells, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. This is episode number 68. Freedom in Christ is shared by Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 5, verses 3 to 6. Faith expressing itself in love. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. NIV 1984 Let's recap the issue of circumcision. Among the Old Testament children of God, circumcision was a big deal. God made it a big deal. Attached to circumcision was the promise of the seed of the woman, the seed promised to Abraham. Jesus, as Paul has said, is that seed. In the Old Testament, it was fair to infer that a family whose males were circumcised were part of God's kingdom. Naturally, we must remember that faith was essential in the Old Testament, just as it is now. But circumcision connected with faith was a wonderful sign of God's salvation promise. That was then. This is now. The New Testament has made the Old Testament obsolete. What counts in this age, the age where the promise of the seed has been fulfilled. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There are two ways to misread this. The first is to ignore the fact that true faith always produces works. At the heart of real works is true Christian love. In a time where so many misunderstand love, emasculate it, this requires more instruction. But not today. For today it is enough to say that how our love expresses itself towards wife, child, parent, neighbor, and even enemy is often addressed both by Jesus and in the letters of Paul. True faith loves in a true way. The second error is to say that love helps us fill out faith, that the love which faith produces is, in part, the cause of our salvation. This turns everything Paul has said upside down. It puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Love is the greatest work of the law. Just see 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But faith saves. Only faith can hold on to Jesus. Only faith sees that he is God the Son. Only faith believes that God the Father laid our sins on his shoulders. Only faith can grasp and rejoice that it, namely our redemption, is finished. If we think that we have no need to express love in real scriptural ways, we are not living our faith. 
if we take our eyes of faith off Christ, all the love in the world will mean nothing for our salvation. This song, titled Galatians 5, verse 6, is shared by the Camp Philip Choir. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Pain and sorrow surround me, ten thousand places that I should be. Trust in the eternal God for security. We read Genesis twenty-one, twenty-two to 34 At that time Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard only about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Abimelech is a name we've heard before. It means, my father, the king, or perhaps could be more like a title, the way we use the word prince, 
my father is king. Isn't it interesting that Abimelech notes how God is on Abraham's side? God is with you in everything you do, he says. He notes how Abraham always comes out ahead. Sure, Abraham, we can be confident, was not shy about witnessing his faith and his reliance on God. God had so much blessed Abraham, who was, as Abimelech says, a mere foreigner in the land, just sojourning, that this neighboring king and his commander want to make sure they don't become enemies of Abraham or enemies of his God. Abimelech likely had heard how God had even given Abraham sons in his old age, including the miraculous birth of Isaac through his wife Sarah. God was with Abraham, and that was evident in every way. Abraham agrees to make peace with his neighbor. But first he has to point out that he hasn't been entirely well treated by Abimelech. Abimelech's servants had seized a well which Abraham's men had dug. The matter was resolved, and Abraham even gave a gift to testify to the validity of their agreement over the well. But Abraham's joy and security wasn't found in all this earthly protocol and these earthly blessings with treaty pacts and getting along with his neighbors. Abraham, in conclusion, turns to the Lord, who had given him all things. A tree was planted in commemoration of all that the Lord had done for him, and he proceeded to call on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. Calling on the name of the Lord is an expression for public worship by Abraham. All who witnessed and all his servants who saw this knew that he was praising the Lord for his blessings. He was turning to entrusting in the Lord and the promises of the Lord for his future. When it really came down to it, he didn't depend on his pact with Abimelech. His security depended only on this. He trusted in the Lord, the eternal God. Unlike all the passing gods of the unbelieving people around him, his God was eternal. And as the everlasting God, the promises of the Lord would never fail him. When you feel blessed, when you reach a point of security in life, remember where your security comes from. First of all, remember who brought the blessing into your life, and he didn't do it because you deserve it or because he fears you. He's the eternal God who has no need of anything from us. He's the eternal God who, in great mercy and love, has chosen to bless us for his own sake. And he did this by fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless the world through Abraham's offspring. All nations now come to know the Christian church seeking peace because of that one born of Abraham, Jesus. And peace is given through Jesus our Lord, who took on flesh, who died, and who lives forever as the eternal God. This is our eternal source of security, trusting in the eternal God. Call on his name always. Praise his name forever. God's Word for You is shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 21. We'll read verses 1 to 16. This is Job. This chapter is unusual. Job is still very passionate, and obviously he's still hurting, but he quotes his friend's actual speeches more directly now, and his words are more like a formal argument in many places. If we step back to notice where we are in the book, this is the first time Job has spoken since his great climactic confession of faith, I know that my Redeemer lives. His own words have served to calm his troubled hearts. The gospel he has preached has settled his own troubled heart. And now for the first time, he is really able to answer his friends. 
Let's look at the first six verses. Job replied, Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. Is my complaint directed to a human being? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled. Clap your hand over your mouth. When I think about this, I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Job is saying that if his friends are insulted by his words, then they should consider their own arguments against him. If God is the one who is persecuting Job, as they have said, then Job's complaint is against God and not against them. If my complaint, uh, uh, he says, is my complaint directed to a human being? They shouldn't be insulted by Job. They should be appalled. Verses 7 to 12. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry on the sound of the pipe. All right, a change in the updated NIV is that timbrel and parp our tambourine and harp are now timbrel and lyre, and flute is now pipe. Uh, I suppose the reason for this is that most people think of modern instruments when they see modern names. Maybe timbrel is too old-fashioned for people to understand that it was really just another kind of tambourine. Let's read Job's words down to verse 16. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands, so I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Job simply lays out the hollow arguments of his friends. Bildad said that the wicked never have children. But Job points out that this is never the case. Zophar said that wicked Job would no longer have fear if he admitted his guilt but Job shows that the homes of the wicked are safe and free of fear. Zophar also claimed that the wicked die young, but Job doesn't buy it at all. If anything, the wicked live to a ripe old age. Eliphaz also talked about a righteous man having a secure home and his prosperity would not go missing, but Job and the rest of all of us know that this isn't the case. Job's assessment of unbelievers is right on the nose. They say to God, leave us alone. Too often it's more than that even. Some people who reject God want the rest of the world to reject him too. They become really anti-evangelists. And in their own way, they become anti-Christs. That's why we keep turning back to the word of God. The world wants to abolish the definition of sin so that they can do away with guilt. But the meaning of sin is spelled out for us forever. As Paul said, I would not have known what coveting really was. If the law had not said, do not covet, we can't ever take away the grace of God who sent his son to suffer the penalty for our coveting and all of our other sins, whether we know about them or not. We have forgiveness in Jesus, and only through him do we have peace. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. Up next, we have Moment with the Master by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Hello once again and welcome to A Moment with Master. The portion of God's Word that we are focusing on is from the Gospel according to John chapter 1 verse 14. 
The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever tried looking at the sun? Now you know you're not supposed to. It can hurt your eyes. But sometimes when you're driving, you can't really help it. What does it look like? Why, it's blinding, isn't it? In a way, we'd say it's glorious because it shines so brightly. Well, what about God's glory? His glory is infinitely greater than the sun. Can you imagine looking at God's glory? Why, we'd melt, right? Why? Because God is perfect and holy, but we're sinful and corrupt. But God wants us to see him and to know him. So what did he do? He hid his glory by becoming one of us, taking on real human flesh, being born into our world. But in so doing, in hiding his glory, he showed us his real glory. He hid his glory to come in grace and truth, to live perfectly for us, to die innocently on the cross for our sins, and to rise again that we might know that heaven is our home. And that is glorious, and you've seen it. I'm joyful to have seen his real glory, and so are you. God bless you this day. We'll close with a song called Te Deum Laudamus by Cross to Glory. You have been listening to Canaanbound Podcast, episode number 68. For more information on how you can support the artist featured on this podcast, visit com. This episode was first shared in May of 2014. We encourage you to visit a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us. 
Спасибо.